Hello and welcome to The Beautiful Game, a series exploring personal improvement and resiliency through interviews with soccer coaches from around the world. Beautiful Game is brought to you by Weasels FC, a brand for the tenacious, quick-witted, and occasionally underestimated. I am your host, Tony Niccolo. Join me as we learn to live, work, and play better with more confidence, resilience, and success. Good afternoon. I'm uh, here on The Beautiful Game with Jennifer Klein, who's the head coach of the women's team at the University of Michigan. Go Blue. Go Blue. Just to give you some context, Beautiful Game is for an audience beyond just players and coaches. We have coaches share their insights into player development, but really in the context of personal growth and continuous improvement so that we can help a broader audience of entrepreneurs, business executives, artists, parents, help them live, work, and play better. So happy to have you here today with us sharing some of your insights from the game and from coaching and your own professional journey. Absolutely. No, I'm really happy to be a part of it. So the first question is a softball, which is that Beautiful Game is sponsored by a brand called Weasels FC. And I want to know what you think about weasels, the animal. The actual animal. Yeah. Uh, when I think who, of who it... are in the same family as an, another very important animal. Wolverine. Um, when I think of actually the, the weasel, I always think of uh, Roger Rabbit, the little characters that uh, work for the bad guy, but... Yeah, that's when I think of that, that immediately is where I go to is, is Roger Rabbit. All right. So really enjoyed your on-field session last night. I can see how it helps players with lots of different facets of the game. I think I'll adapt it for my U12 boys who sort of need some help with movement off the ball correct? Um, in part of their possession games. One thing that was interesting to me that was there was a good deal of confusion and, and some might say failure amongst the, the players during the practice. And um, you didn't seem bothered by that. Um, you were comfortable. And it was an interesting juxtaposition with the session that happened just before yours because those coaches... You could hear some sort of comments about, oh, well, you know, with my team, we usually do this much faster. And they, and they were sort of clearly perturbed that, you know, we don't have the players. And, and to me, it, it pointed out sort of an important philosophical sure. difference. And I'd just like to hear your thoughts yeah, about it. Yeah. And I, I, you know, during the session, I, I made a point to talk to the coaches that, you know, anytime that I have ran that particular activity, which we call single box doesn't matter what level from a college level, high school, and down you go, it's the same when you first start it. And trying to get players to use their eyes to not just run to run, but run and move based off of where their teammates move. And you're trying to teach their basically brain to read that. And so it takes a while. And so just them not being successful at it, yeah, I was comfortable in it because it looks the same every time that you do it. And the more that you get them in it and the more that you do it, they start to learn, okay, this is what I'm doing. They'll slow down. They'll not just rush through it. And then as they get used to it and know what they're doing, it then starts to speed back up. But, you know, I think sometimes we're, we're so quick to try to, you know, as coaches to get it right at the first time. And when you're training and doing things, it's not that quick, right? The process is slow and we have to be okay with it being slow and giving them time to to learn and adapt and figure out what you're asking them to do. 
Well, as, as an entrepreneur, I, I know that for sure some of the biggest learning and progress that I've made is is through failure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that that it's really important in training sessions to respect that they're a training session right. and that if you don't regularly have failure, are you are you pushing far enough? Yes. And I and I think, you know, when we do it, we have a, a process and way in the way that we teach our attacking and in the way that we teach our defending. And it's kind of almost a system that so that way we and we go back to certain activities because you can't just do it once and think that it's going to be, oh, I got it. You got to do it over and over and over again, just so it's almost like your movement is second thought. And it's just it's what you do. And then you can start to add complexities to it. Well, and that you're actually decision making. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, decision making, I think, is one of the hardest things to teach because it, it takes so much time and you have to have patience with it. But if you're able to do it, I think it makes the players better on the field because now they're looking across and seeing, OK, what is the opponent doing? Where are my teammates? Where's the space? Got all that information. And now I can decide. And it almost doesn't matter what the you know, other team tries to do because they have the ability to solve it. And so it takes a little bit longer to do it that way. But I think ultimately it makes the players better in the long run. Yeah, we could talk about this yeah. for a long time <laughs> um, because you probably still get players. Oh, sure. You know, Absolutely. even though coaching is improving a lot, yes. who, who have spent their career up until they arrived at Michigan. Yes. You know, used to their parents and coaches on the sideline. They wanted telling black them where and white and, and it is where like it, it is. To and, yeah, yeah. It's we, we we try to, you know, look for that in the recruiting process as much as, as we can. But at, at some point it's just it's not always there. So we just have to start at the beginning when they get there and hopefully they figure it out sooner than later once they do arrive. Yeah. So starting at the beginning, you were captain at Arizona when you played there. And while you were playing, you, you also played in the W League. And then you decided that you wanted to go into coaching. And you basically worked for free for Arizona yeah. for yep. a year. You then immediately took a head coaching job as as sort of your first job at, at well, UNLV. I went, I went to be an assistant for three years and then from there okay. uh, got the head coaching job when my, my the current head coach had left and then went yeah so, yeah, so I was you were there assistant. for three years yep. as an assistant and then got you had the, the head coaching yep. job and then for some reason you decided to go back to being an assistant where, where you did win a national championship yeah, with absolutely. USC yeah um what what was you know it, it seems like Something that you were saying to your players yesterday was to be decisive. Right. Your career path seems like you have. Yeah, you there have was some. That. I guess there's. It, it looks like that there is some intention behind every place that I've gone, and you know there was. Uh, I going back to being an assistant. I knew that I wanted to. It was. It was twofold. One recognizing that I wanted a little bit of a change from where I was, but also recognizing that I wanted to be a coach at a bigger institution, um, at a power five institution. And to make that jump, you know, you got to kind of go to a power five institution and know what it's about. And, you know, that was going to be going back and being an assistant. When I was a head coach, I was the youngest at the time, the youngest division one head coach in the country. And so just recognizing that there was still a lot for me to learn and being okay to kind of going back to get an opportunity to work with someone I knew I could 
learn from and become better when the opportunity presented itself to being a head coach again. So just recognizing it, you know, some people like, oh, you're a head coach and going back to being an assistant, isn't that, you know, a lateral move or taking a step back? But it it really wasn't. It just, I, I needed to go learn a different skill set or develop other skills. And, and that was the way to for me to do it. And was there a coach along the way that sort of taught you that that resiliency or gave you that self-awareness? Or where did you learn those sort of mental skills and, and maturity to, to have that recognition that you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I've always been a pretty resilient individual just as a as a, a youth player and even in college. I mean, I, I went to the University of Arizona. I was a re- recruited walk-on and kind of wanted to go and prove myself. And so eventually, you know, as a recruited walk-on, ended up becoming a captain while I was there. So it just kind of always, it didn't matter where I started. It was kind of about like, where do I want to end and finish? And what do I want to get out of this opportunity that I've been given? And so I think I've always had that. And then just throughout my career, I've been very fortunate to be surrounded by good people that I can have honest candid conversations with about, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And what's your advice? And kind of help navigate my career. And also just, I mean, my family's been very, very supportive. So kind of just having good people around me has allowed for me to kind of navigate this crazy profession that that I'm a part of. Yeah. And so it's that sort of support system that's made it easier for you to absolutely get through the, you know, ups and downs downs of of coaching for sure. There was a, a Big Ten interview you did this past season, and it was a discussion about the sort of motto for the season. Yes. Um, which was to to make it Michigan. Yeah. And you described that as sort of developing good habits, discipline and defending, both 1v1 and as a team, being able to keep the ball, playing it quickly, finishing your chances. Were there times during the season where there were moments where you saw that it was happening, that they were making at Michigan? You know, were there some, some um, particular games? I, I, I think probably right off the, the two games that stand out where it was like, wow, we are really, this is clicking and it it is working. Our last non-conference game when we went to Pullman, Washington and beat Washington State, that was a moment that was critical for our, our program because at the time Washington State was ranked. They were higher than us in the RPI. And we were very real with the girls that this was a result in this game could be a great result when it comes to the NCAA tournament. And I felt like they were ready for it and believed that they could do it. So at that moment, I think another one was our first Big Ten conference game and it was against Penn State at Penn State and we were able to get a result and I think in those two moments you could really see the team just believing in what we were doing and they saw the results out of it and yeah they were making it Michigan and those are two moments that it really kind of clicked. But not every moment was like that. Like uh, I, I know my team, right? You know they're yeah. they're progressing, and there's a game where you think they're getting everything, and then sure. the next weekend, yeah. like, have they you ever know, played we, this we game? Had some... How do you work through that and sort of teach and train them to be more consistent? Yeah, I think a big thing is winning is awesome, and everybody feels good when you're winning. But in losses. I think you can find the most growth depending on how you look at at a loss. You know, we lost to Marquette earlier in the year, and I thought, you know, it was a good loss in that 
it kind of helped us get to the next one. Losing to Notre Dame, again, you're in the game and, and you don't want to lose to them. But like there was just certain things every every game, whether it was a win or a loss, it allowed for us to have an experience that we needed to get to the next step. So even when there were moments that maybe we weren't making it, making it Michigan, we took those opportunities as learning moments and teachable moments to get us to the next step. So for me, making it Michigan sort of implies values, right? I mean, there's yes. the history of yep. Yost and Bosch Schembechler and that sort of notion of a Michigan man and oh, and, absolutely. And, and the values of of honor and sacrifice and sort of pride of place and humility. And your introduction was really around changing the culture yeah. at Michigan. So what was the culture before that you needed to change? You know, I think a big part of it uh, in part of changing the culture, I think just making, you know, Michigan has this tradition of being the team, the team, the team. And that was that's a phrase that's everywhere around, you know, any building that you go into. And I think that that was something that was always said, but never that wasn't lived, maybe lived by everybody like you knew it. But was the program, was our girls really living it? And I think another thing that really wanted to do was bring in more of those Michigan traditions into the soccer program. I w- that was one of the things that drew me to Michigan was it has this already kind of culture just naturally into the entire school. And so we didn't really have to recreate or create a ton of things ourselves. We just had to bring in components of Michigan into the program. And by doing that, it allowed for us to kind of think make changes pretty early. But a lot of it, as well as far as the culture that we were looking to create, was that everybody on the team has a role to play and everybody has the ability to be impactful, regardless of, you know, minutes played. It's about, you know, just being impactful with the minutes that you have and getting that buy-in and showing that everyone has value. And that was something that we looked to change. And you have a phrase, accept your role, thrive in your role and prepare for the next role that you want. And I think that allowed for us to have more success throughout the season because we had injuries and we had players that were just ready to step in and do what was asked of them. But they stayed hungry all season because they knew, hey, I got to prepare. I'm embracing my role. I'm thriving in it, but I know I got to be ready for for the next one whenever that may be. So, I mean, you were, lots of people have mentioned this, that you were instrumental in USC's national championship (laughs) season because of your responsibility for recruiting. Sure. Was was recruiting sort of part of that change? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think one of the great things about Michigan is that, and what I was very fortunate to walk into, is that there was a good pool of recruits and talent already coming into the program. So I think that part was great in that we weren't walking into a a program with a bear cupboard or with players that we didn't feel could adapt into what the change or what we were looking to do. But a recruiting is is so important to what you're doing because you got to find the players that fit not only, you know, your program, your style of play, but your institution. And, you know, there's a lot of great, talented players, but it's about finding the right fit. So how do you do that? I mean, you're yeah. uh, ostensibly you're trying to identify yeah. players yeah. who can contribute to the success of the team, but also people yeah. that you believe will grow. Yeah. So how, I have a crystal you, ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's about building relationships and, you know, getting to know players and, and just asking questions and setting the expectations. You know, we, we, we let them know that we're looking for players. Of course, we're looking for players that have a soccer skill set or a position 
position, you know, those are needs that we have to fill. But we're looking for players that have particular character qualities that we feel will fit with what we're doing. So when, you know, we're talking about team first type of, of, of individuals that it, it is, it, everybody comes into Michigan with ambitions and, and goals, but understanding that if the team is successful, everybody will kind of get theirs and having the ability to put the team in front of yourself all the time on the field, off the field. And then we're looking for, you know, players that are ultra competitive. I'm, you know, there's a expectations at, at Michigan, not only just from a soccer standpoint and an athletic standpoint to, to win championships, but also academically. It's a, so making sure that we find players that are just ultra competitive and looking for players that are fit mentally, physically, and emotionally, I mean, what what we're doing, it's it's a roller coaster of a ride, the way that we look to play. So just players that really value that idea of fitness. Then we're looking for problem solvers. I mean, you saw the session last night and it, it's having players that have the ability to make decisions. But I think it goes not only just on the field, but off the field as well. When you're starting to talk about kind of maturing and growing into like a, an adult that you have to take in information, make a decision live with the consequences and repeat. So just trying to get them to understand that. And then the last one that we look for are players that are committed to their development as people, a student and as athletes. And so when you're going through the recruiting process, when the day that they commit to the day that they show up as a freshman, they should look different because they're committed to their development. They, they don't want to just, the journey just didn't stop because I get to go to Michigan. And then once they get to Michigan, they should look different from a freshman to a senior and with all of the resources and everything that we do. So as much as we have a part in that, they also have to make sure that they want to actually do it and it's something that they value. So those are the qualities that we look for. And if they have those qualities, then it's a pretty easy transition into what we do. It's becoming sort of a trope amongst the North American coaching community that there's this notion that in North America, we spend a lot of time coaching effort, right. whereas in Europe, you just coach technique because sure. the effort is already there. Have you seen any difference recruiting at USC versus Michigan? Like, is, is the Midwestern work ethic still a real thing? Oh, it definitely is a real thing. But, I, you know, I think anywhere across, I, you know, I think players all have for the most part, players have a good work ethic. It's just the consistency and the intensity and, and just recognizing that it can't be a sometimes thing. But definitely uh, Midwest players have a, a fantastic work ethic. And I appreciate that about it. You mentioned this a, a little bit about you've got players who you're developing into adults and, and decision making being a fundamental part of that and commitment and accepting responsibility. I think that we tend to forget especially when we're thinking about college athletics in general and the way people get caught up in them in school spirit and then, you know, the business side of certainly sort of basketball and throwball. How do you balance that fundamental truth that you are developing quality humans who are pursuing an education? I mean, that's really yeah. the original purpose of, of college athletics. Yeah, I think, you know... Versus I, winning and... Yeah. and you have to give them the time to do it, you know, and and I think one thing while I was at the working at UNLV, I was also getting my my master's degree and we had a professor within the program and he always kept and it was in uh, sports administration was my what my degree program was. And he just kept saying, you are in the business of higher education. 
college athletics is in the business of higher education. And so just recognizing that we are a part of that. And so just providing them with time and space to have that growth and be able to pursue other interests that they have. We ask a lot of them during our fall season. And I think it's fair because they signed up for it. And you try to, you let them know that this is what you're signing up for. But in, you know, when we're not playing in the fall and in the spring, there's still expectation because it's our development time, but it's also a time where we have the ability to give them time back to have these other interests that they want to pursue and, and respecting that. The NWSL draft yes. is happening today. Are you seeing a change in the way that development has to be approached in women's soccer in the U.S. because of the, yeah, as the professional leagues grow yeah. a- and arguably the the opportunities in, in Europe, if you're going to be a professional player, yeah, lots of people are saying, go to school after right. you finish your playing career. Yeah. You know, I think we have to be just be really, it, it's not a, a one size fits all. Every You have to treat everybody individually and find out what their end goal is and help them get that. I mean, for us, we have young women that want to play professionally. So what their career path through college will look differently than the girl that wants to have a really good collegiate career, but wants to go into a, you know, business when she's done graduating. So her path through college will look a little bit differently. And some of the expectations that you have of them, there's an understanding of, well, you don't want to be pro and that's okay. There's still requirements and standards to be a member of our team, but it's going to look different. There's going to be certain things that are just different from a player that's working to be a professional in soccer versus someone that wants to be a professional in something other than the sport that they play. So I think we we have to be really aware of that and treat everybody individually to match the needs instead of you know trying to just make it a blanket one size fits all. Beyond the obvious training, right? Like the players who right. want to be professionals are probably training more on their own outside of of their work with the team. Sure. Do you try and figure out how to help players who are doing other training outside of soccer? So they want to go to the Ross School and get right. their MBA. Do you try and bring the things that they're improving? Do you try and bring them back to the team in some way? Yeah. And, you know, I think in our off season, we do a culture leadership class every week, at least for the first six weeks and then every other week. And so trying to to give them skill sets beyond just, you know, what we do on the field, but it translates on the field, off the field, and trying to to use those leadership qualities that can be applicable to the business world, to the athletic world, and then just giving them space to pursue those other ventures that they have and, you know, giving them a platform to to share those experiences with their team because I think it, it's super, super valuable and always asking, are you guys, you know, I'll hear about a program that's happening on main campus and it's like, did you guys know about this? Is everybody taking advantage of this? Because this is cool. And if I was still in school, I would definitely be doing that. So just allowing for them to have the space to feel like they can do that. And so, you know, a lot of your work as a coach is is both from a recruiting standpoint, but then actually coaching is getting your players to continuously improve. Right. What do you do to evaluate your own performance and, and make sure that you're constantly yeah. getting better? You know, I, I think a lot of self-reflection. I, I'm a huge note taker. I have 
too many notebooks, but, you know, I take notes on everything and, and go back through and, and reread those notes. As a staff, we sit down and do a season evaluation and I ask for feedback about me. Like, I think that's, you know, one thing is that I really enjoy feedback and candid feedback. Like, it's okay to, you know, I, I want to know because I want to get better. And then we also ask for feedback from the players. So, you know, I think that's one thing that we, you know, as coaches can't be fearful of feedback from the players because ultimately we have to serve them for them to get to get what you know what do they what can we do to help them and what do they need for us to allow for them to to be better so asking for feedback from them how was our communication what did you like what did you not like doing surveys that kind of are this start stop continue you know can we start doing this can we stop doing this and I really like this so let's keep doing it so and letting them know that you're listening and you appreciate their feedback. Some things we can make adjustments to. Other things, they're, you know, non-negotiables. But I think, you know, in my self-evaluation or trying to be a better coach, it, it's having people around me that I, I trust to give me good, honest feedback and, you know, try to work on it. So. What do those non-negotiables look like? Where, uh, where some of the it, fitness it, stuff, like right. they'll say, "Oh, I don't like this." Well, unfortunately, we have to run. So some of those things that, and you know, I think another thing is that we have humor in it, and and there's and we give explanations why. You know, if something pops up, you know, an activity, they're like, "Ah," and it's like, "Well, this is why we why we do this," and then they're like, "Okay, I get it." Yeah, it's yeah. it's more of a, a leadership communication yeah, thing than anything else, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. I haven't given you enough perspective on sure. why we do this thing. Right. Yes. To help you buy into it. Absolutely. And I think more and more players they want to know the why. I think gone are the days where it's like cuz I told you so. They want to know why. They want to know the purpose and I think when they have an understanding of the reasoning and we always talk about everything we do is about performance. It all goes back to performance, us performing our best as individuals and and as a team. And so whenever we're adding something or doing something, it all goes back to us performing well. And I think when you give them that understanding of why we're doing something, it's so much easier to say, okay, I can do this because I I I know I know why we're doing it as opposed to because I told you <laughs> told you so. So I, I think we just have to be willing to give more whys to, to our players. That's great. Thanks so yeah. much, Jen. No worries. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yep. Thank Bye. you. Go Blue. Go Blue. Thank you for joining us today on The Beautiful Game. We hope you also have some new ideas and inspiration to live, work, and play better. Please subscribe to get future episodes. And you can join the conversation with your host, Tony Niccolo, on Twitter at Weasels FC.